Thank you, John Henry and Jamie. John Henry, of course, filling in for Rick, who is himself in quarantine because he was exposed to some folks. Uh, I think his quarantine ends uh, Tuesday or so. Tomorrow, not one day later. He and I talked. I, I, he was not sure if it was Monday or Tuesday. He'll be ready. He'll be ready. We're, and, and Deb's ready as well, I'm sure. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll be reading this morning. Genesis chapter 1. Shouldn't take you too long to get to your place. I'm glad to hear those pages turn. Always bring your Bible. When I was a, a kid, just from my earliest days of remembering, remember we grew up uh, there in El Dorado to my elementary school years, El Dorado, Arkansas. I went to a little church, Van Trees Methodist Church, down on the south side of town there in El Dorado. Good neighborhood then. It's pretty rough now, but it was a good neighborhood then. Went to Van Trees Methodist Church. It's a pretty good-sized church. Of course, when, I was, when you're a kid, everything's big. And I can remember going to Sunday school and Bible school. And, of course, when you're a kid and you go to Sunday school and Bible school, the, the standard practice, and it's a good practice, is to teach the youngsters Bible stories. And, of course, you have the Bible stories all through the Bible about notable people and notable events. And, of course, that practice hadn't changed. I can remember when we were first lived here at Bristra, we moved in and then at old church back in the back we had Sunday school rooms and I can remember Miss Mabel I can remember the other ladies that did Bible school and did Sunday school and they would do the Bible stories still do that don't we we do the Bible stories about all those notable characters well I got to thinking there's a lot of doctrine in the Bible stories the Bible stories are not just for kids that's in the Bible so for the next, I don't know how long, on Sunday, we're going to be looking at adult-sized doctrines from favorite children Bible stories. Adult-sized doctrines. God has a message for our lives through these Bible stories. And we start, of course, with the first one at the very start, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for the history of your work. We thank you for Bible stories. Father, we thank you that these are not just stories. These are true. Your message to us. We ask that you would help us to see the lessons, the message you have for our lives specifically through these stories. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, when I say adult-sized doctrine, a lot of times when you start talking about doctrine, people's eyes just glaze over because they think this is going to be tedious. Now, let me tell you what doctrine is. Doctrine is simply what the Word of God says about a particular issue. It's what doctrine is. So a lot of times we think about doctrinal studies, you think about something that's going to be long and tedious and boring. There's nothing boring about what God has to say about the issues that we face every day. There are some adult-sized lessons about what we face. And we, of course, start with the creation. Two main things that we look at this morning starts off very simply with this statement. In the beginning, God. The first four words of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God. First point, first doctrine, first lesson God has for us through the Bible stories, an unshakable confidence in the existence of God. The first statement he makes states it unequivocally, God is. In the beginning, God. The word that is used here is Elohim. It is a Hebrew word that means the majesty and power of God. Now just to make sure that nobody got any misunderstanding about what he said, the word Elohim, the name of God, 
is mentioned 32 times in this one chapter. Unmistakable message that God exists. His existence is clearly given as a stated fact, accepted as true, so obvious, so indisputable, no attempt is made to explain it or to defend it. Sufficient evidence is given following. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word that is mentioned here, created, create, is a Hebrew word, bara. It is used only in the scriptures in relation to God. There are other words in Hebrew that mean to make, to form, to build, to put together. But only bara is mentioned with God. Nobody else is mentioned with this word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the verses that follow reveal the person of God. And the resulting creation reveals the power of God. And God invites us to look at the evidence. In Job chapter 12, if you'll turn over to Job chapter 12, it's a passage of scripture that I've used before. But there's a misconception among our popular culture and sometimes even amongst church people in that you have the Bible over here and you have science over here. And if you're going over here to science, you must not believe this over here. That is absolutely false. God invites us to investigate the sciences. God invites us to scrutinize the evidence. And in Job chapter 12, look in verse 7. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you. And look at this. Speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, and whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of of all mankind. Look at the evidence. Speak to the earth. Look at the rocks. Look at the geological evidence. Look at the animals and the birds and the fish. Analyze the microbes under the microscope. And who among all these doesn't say God has done all of this? So in geology, chemistry, biology, physics, paleontology, all of these point to God. True science and a true look at the evidence points to God. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. Get this question all the time. Why didn't the Bible give us any more details about creation? And I have to understand, there's a lot of details here we wish here to fill in. Why didn't God give us more details about the rocks and the fossils and chemistry and biology? Well, the reason is this. Geology is not the focus of this book. This is not a geology book. Chemistry is not the focus of this book. Physics are not the focus of this book. 
What's the focus of this book? God is the focus of this book. And God has given us a mind to analyze and to look at the evidence and, of course, to discover biology and chemistry and anthropology. And then the question is this. Well, why can't we reconcile geology with Scripture? And somehow we've gotten in our mind that there's a disconnect that the Bible says one thing, but geology says another thing. And why can't we reconcile? We are asking the wrong question. The problem is not reconciling the geological record with Scripture. The problem is reconciling our understanding of the geological record with our understanding of Scripture. And both are imperfect. Back in the early 1800s, people began to look to science and feel like science might could replace Scripture. There was a professor named Charles Lyell. In 1830, he wrote a book called The Principles of Geology. This book is a very useful book when it comes to the geology, but instead of him looking at the evidence and pointing to God... He said something that finally maybe we can remove science from the dispensation of Moses. And his mind was that all of these things would disprove scriptures. At that time, he enumerated Charles Lyell, Professor Charles Lyell, author, geologist. He counted 80 geological theories that were hostile to the scriptures. Not one of them is held today. As people begin to understand science, they begin to discard them one right after another. And even Charles Darwin had some issues with it. Now, I have Charles Darwin's book, and I had it out ready to bring over here. I didn't bring it over here, but I got the page number written down, and I can carry you the page number. It's on page 315 of his book, The Origin of Species. Now, why would you have a, a copy of that book in your library, preacher? If people are going to wave that book around to try to disprove the Bible, I want her to look in that book and see what it said. And here is what Charles Darwin himself said. He said, as of now, this is on page 315, I'll let you look it up. As of now, we cannot find the links between the early stages of man and the late stages of man. And here's his explanation. Because the geological record is not perfect. In other words, my theory does not fit with the geological record. So the problem is with the evidence. The geological record is not perfect. No missing links have ever been found up to that date in the mid-1800s. Now, in the next 200 almost years that followed, you know how many missing links have been found? Zero. So his understanding of the geological record was flawed, but he blamed it on the geological record. So we understand it's our understanding of science that's flawed, and it has caused people to turn away from God. None of the sciences, geology, biology, anthropology, even paleontology, none of the sciences offer proof that God does not exist. Because the burden of proof 
It's not on us to prove that God exists. The evidence abounds. The burden of proof is on those who say that God doesn't exist and no science has ever proven that God does not exist. No science has ever denied the existence of God truthfully analyzed. What about the Big Bang? Well, that came about in the early 1900s. I'm going to tell you, everybody thinks the Big Bang is, of course, that theory that totally disproves the existence of God. But when it came out, a lot of scientists were uncomfortable with it. Why? Because the Big Bang says there was a beginning. If there was a beginning, there was a beginner. They were uncomfortable with it. So the Big Bang Theory, and I think we all know the Big Bang Theory, can be disproven or cast doubt on it because it's all built on a question that does not have an answer. Where did man come from? Man came from those earlier ape-like creatures. Where did they came from? They came from an earlier furry little creature that scurried around on the land. Where did it come from? Well, the lungfish crawled up out of the ocean. Where did the lungfish come from? Well, they developed, of course, in the ocean. Where did they come from? They came from lower life forms. And they came from one day all of these compounds in the earth we're swishing around in the ocean. Something happened, and life happened by accident. Well, where'd that water come from? Well, when the Big Bang happened, when the Big Bang happened, everything exploded, and the universe is expanding. And in time, all these gases and rocks begin to clump together. And there you have the Earth. And where'd that come from? Well, this is quite phenomenal. All of the matter in the universe was all compressed into one little pinpoint, and that exploded. Now, I know those brilliant minds, and I, I understand the universe is expanding. They've seen the evidence. But it was all compressed, boom, and it exploded. Then you ask the question, and where'd that come from? We're still waiting for the answer. Where'd that come from? So the entire big skyscraper of the Big Bang Theory that's supposed to say God doesn't exist is built on a question that has no answer. We don't know where it came from. Excuse me? So we're going to build a whole theory on the fact you say, I don't know, but I'm going to build a theory on this. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Can't you ask the same question concerning us? Where did man come from? Man came from the hand of God. Where did God come from? I got you. Well, no. In the 90th Psalm, which is a Psalm of Moses, who of course wrote Genesis as God dictated to him on the Mount Sinai, he says this, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God from everlasting to everlasting. Where'd man come from? God made man. Where'd this world come from? God created the heavens and the earth. Where'd the universe come from? God created the heavens and the earth. Where'd God come from? God has always been. There's an answer to that question, isn't it? God has been from everlasting to everlasting. We can't comprehend it because we are 
humans. We can't comprehend eternity in the past. Then what about that evidence of the emergence of simple life? The fossil records. Well, that's disputed by modern science. You see, the idea is that all these compounds, carbon, nitrogen, and all these things that are floating around in the water came together and somehow, way, they accidentally came together and life spontaneously emerged. Sounded good from the start, but when you begin to look at modern science and what we know about a cell. You see, when Darwin wrote his theory about this, all they knew was a cell was something that looked like a tiny egg under a microscope. You had a cell wall, you had some goo in there, you had a nucleus. That's about it, about four parts. The simplest life form on the earth is a one-celled organism that has 470 genes. Every gene is made up of a complex chain of DNA. DNA is made up of a complex chain of proteins. Now, these proteins are held together by polymers, adhesives. Those polymers will dissolve in water outside of the cell. Now, what's the theory? These things built themselves together in water and then a cell was formed. Oh, here is the other evidence. These chains will only form inside of a cell. Inside of a fully functioning cell, these chains of DNA that form the basic life form, they form inside the cell, and then the new cell is formed. Now, so the new cell is formed by the process that goes on in an existing cell. The cell needs the DNA in order to be built. But the DNA must have a cell in order to be formulated. They could not have happened one before the other. They had to happen simultaneously. You had to have a fully functional cell before the, even the simplest life form. In other words, to build the chain of organic matter to make life happen spontaneously is impossible. And to get this, even under laboratory ex, ex, uh, experience, they, they can, in those conditions, they, they cannot do it. And they say, boy, when, when we do, I remember a, a one said, you know, when we finally create life in the laboratory, it'll mean I just don't have to worry about believing in God anymore. Okay, let's back up, though. So, intelligent scientists work for years with specialized equipment, with manipulated material, in intelligently designed formulas and you're trying to say that will prove that nothing intelligent created life. You are just proving that it takes more intelligence than you have to create life. Much less to create it spontaneously. So, science points to the existence of God. Science points a way of godless, spontaneous 
emergence of life and the development of human from animals. Science points away from that. So we're left with two alternatives. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are left with God's personal involvement in creation. And I like what Paul said in the book of Colossians chapter 1 as he summarizes all of this. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, listen how simple and how profound and how straightforward, not a shadow of doubt what he meant. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. There's, there's the alternative we have. In the beginning, God. God created all things, and all things were created for him, and in him all things consist. You know what this word consist means? It's all held together. It's all held together. God's holding all things together. So we have first, God's personal involvement in creation. Or secondly, if you choose, you can look at the other alternative. Man's futile involvement in speculation. God's personal involvement in creation. Man's futile involvement in speculation. Paul wrote of this. Because every generation thinks that they found something new to throw in the face of God and to prove that there's no God. And science, and people think that modern science has been doing this. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, and remember the Apostle Paul wrote 50, about 1950 years ago, and he's speaking of the past tense. He's speaking that this was already happening when he wrote this. So those who think they've come up with something new to challenge the church and come up with something new that... They're uh, somehow too refined and too educated for God. This has been going on for millennia. But notice how the Apostle Paul explains it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Excuse me, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He has just said in 16, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, they are without excuse. God gives us indisputable evidence that he exists through the things that he made. No excuse. Now look at the futile attempt. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And here's the result of man turning away 
from God's personal involvement in creation and embracing their futile uh, uh, speculation. Here's the result of it. Listen closely. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves penalty for their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parent, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, an ugly world. Why is there so much ugliness in the world? They exchange the truth of God for a lie and the result is what we see. That's exactly what happens when you turn away from a personal God that's in creation and the world gets to be an ugly place. But we can't leave it there. I'm not going to close the service with that. Because the second thing we notice in the story of creation is the immeasurable dimensions of God's love. Now, you have to follow what the scripture says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've looked at the heavens. He's created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 16, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. He made the stars also. God created the heavens. God made the stars also. How big did God make the heavens and the earth? The more we know, the bigger it gets. At one time, people could just look up at the sky, and it was big. Then you got telescopes, and it was bigger. Then you had more powerful telescopes. And it was, you have telescopes as big as this building now, up on top of mountains. Then you had a telescope that was put in the orbit so you wouldn't have the atmosphere. And that telescope not only is, has visual, but it also has radio waves that it measures and lights that it measures and computers and over. And it just goes forever and forever. And because of modern science, which is accurate, they've determined how big this, well, how big they can measure. Now, what we have to do is start here. The solar system that we live in is 357 billion miles across. Just to give you kind of how big that is, that's the solar system. The solar system in which we live, the light from the sun takes Almost a day to get to the far reaches of the solar system. That's big. That's big. All right. The solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy. So you got the solar system that's in something else. And the Milky Way galaxy is 580 
52,850 light years across. 52,000 light years across. So the light takes 52,000 years to get across the speed of light. Now, it is one of 125 billion galaxies in the known universe. The closest, the closest galaxy to the Milky Way is 666 quadrillion light years away. Now that's too big to imagine. So let me just scale it down. Let's scale it down, we'll figure out how big God is. If the Milky Way that we're looking at, this is why one galaxy, if the Milky Way was 51, uh, 31 miles in diameter, that means if you take a, a line from here and you draw it down to Hainesville, then you go across to maybe the other side of Atlanta, you go up to McNeil, and then go over to Macedonia. Everybody got that circle? There's the Milky Way. That's, we, we, can, we, can, we can figure that out. Now remember how big the solar system is in the Milky Way, you know, we talked about. How big is the solar system when compared to the Milky Way? It's as big as a grain of sand. It's as big as a grain of sand in a circle that's 32, 31 feet, uh, miles wide. That's how big the Milky Way is. That's how small our solar system is, a grain of sand in that circle. Man, that's big. That is huge. If the solar system were a football field, so there, I'm going to expand this to the size of a football field, all right? If the solar system were a football field, the sun is the biggest structure in the solar system. How big is the sun compared to the football field-sized solar system? As big as a dime. There's the sun in the solar system. Go out 100 yards. Now you have it to scale. How big's the earth? If the sun is this ball right here, how big is the earth compared to the sun? See the head of this pin? That's how big the earth is to the sun. That's a dime on a football field, and the football field is a grain of sand in a 31-mile circle. So we have the earth. That's the earth. Well, this is the earth. Columbia County, if you look at this globe, you know how big Columbia County is? Columbia County is as big as the point of the pin on the globe. The point of the pin. All right, so now we've got it to scale. Columbia County. So, I have Columbia County. Right here. How big is this building? All right, look at this building. This building is as big as a pinpoint on Columbia County, which is as big as a pinpoint on this globe, which is as big as the head of this pin compared to the sun, which is as small as a dime on a football field size solar system, which is as small as a grain of sand in the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is one of 125 billion galaxies. Now, now we know how big, I told you it's going to be adult-sized stuff here. 
I mean, that's a lot to think about. That's a lot to think about. And God made it all. In fact, Isaiah goes one step further. God is talking to Isaiah in chapter 48, verse 13. He says, my hand, my right hand spanned the heavens. God made it with one hand. To span the heavens and stretch it out. Or, let me put it into perspective. God's hand spans the heavens, which means God can palm the universe like a basketball. That's how big God is. He's saying, now wait a minute, so what? Oh, there's a big so what here. And there's where we have the most beautiful message in creation. Look in Psalms chapter 8, verse 3. The psalmist, David, wrote this psalm, no doubt spent a lot of time out at night because he was a shepherd. Shepherds hang around a lot at night watching their sheep, and he looked at the sky a lot. Now notice, he didn't have the advanced telescopes, but he knew the sky was big. He knew there were a lot of stars out there. And notice what he says in the 8th Psalm, verse 3. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Did, did you catch that? How big God is when we just looked at the, how, how enormously big the universe is. We can't even comprehend even how big our, our own solar system is compared to what we are and how small we are. How big is God? He said, when I consider you and what you've made and I look at me, what I am, what is man that you give him even a second thought? We are so small compared to the creation of God. And as humans and as the human race, the human race has developed into what we read in, in Romans. What we developed in, the, in Romans where a massive part of the human race is turning away from God despite the evidence, turning away from God. He says, but you're still mindful of us. I said, what is man that you are mindful of us and that you visit him. Whoa. Didn't John say it this way in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of the universe who made everything came and visited us. Now, if you have a New International Version or another English translation, that word visit can also be interpreted. What is man that you are mindful of him and care for him? God cares for us. The big God that made the universe cares for us, and he came to us. And didn't Paul say it this way in Romans chapter 5? God commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, all these things that were mentioned in Romans chapter 1, while we were all these things, little bitty man that dares to challenge God and say, who are you? You don't even exist. Little bitty man. He loved us. He commends his love toward us in that Christ died 
for us. That love is immeasurable. You see, in the creation, you have the undeniable evidence of the existence of God, the undeniable confidence in his existence, and they also have the immeasurable dimensions of God's love. God's love surpasses the dimensions of the heaven. We've seen how big they is. Now, now they are, excuse me. Creation. God started with something empty. The earth was void and without form. The word void, void there means empty. God started with something empty, and he filled it up with something that was good. You remember how many times it said, and God saw it and it was good, and God could do the same thing with an empty life. He can fill it up with something good. That's the adult-sized doctrine in the story of creation. We prepare for an invitational hymn. Don't know where this leaves you. I would say most people in this building, hopefully all of you, have an awareness of the existence of God and wouldn't even doubt it. But what have you done with that? What have you done with God who loved us enough and came to us? Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you talked to him? You see, what is man but you're mindful of him? He wants to hear from you because in our state of emptiness and voidness, he wants to fill your life with good things, the best things. Whatever your needs are, as we stand and see what number. Number 113. 113.